y'all doing this morning? You'll have, you'll have that. Yeah, it's all right. Listen, nobody's perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. Hey, my name is Peyton, and uh, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here at City Lights, and, and uh, we're normal people, and so uh, mistakes happen, and um, I often tell people this, that if you're looking for a perfect church, please don't come here. Please don't come here because you'll be sadly disappointed, and um, also, if you do find the perfect church, make sure that their pastor is not a unicorn, okay? So... As we get going this morning, uh, again, my name is Peyton, the lead pastor of City Lights Church, and we're just so excited about what God's doing here at City Lights, a brand new church that just started, and so encouraged by um, all that God is doing and, and what we're doing um, this year in 2015. And I want to call your attention to a couple things real quick before we dive in today. Um, we are currently working on building a new website. Um, I think Heather mentioned that, citylightsac.org. So if you visit that, you're going to see some things that kind of look a little crazy. We're in the process of updating it. And this is what's going to be really cool is it's going to be more um, interactive. Uh, starting last week, we started, we are doing a current recording of the service. And so we're going to start a podcast for those of you who uh, may miss a Sunday or we got even several of our volunteers out this morning with the flu. You'll be able to go online and listen to that and check that out. So we're just really trying to take some steps up towards that. And I want to encourage you to, to visit us on the web because also there's a calendar on there. And that's just going to show some things that we're going to start doing um, this month. I think Heather mentioned this during the announcements. You see um, January 25th, we've got that city connection where we're going to have a free lunch. Just hang out, get to know each other. Um, and um, so if you check that calendar out, you're just going to see some different things that are going on. We really want to start making a presence on the web. So I want to encourage you to check it out once or twice a week, citylightsac.org, and kind of see what's going on. And, and give us some time. Be patient with us as you, as you go to check that website out because... Um, we are trying to make that top-notch, but um, be sure to catch up with us there. Also, one last thing I want to share with you is that, man, we, we started back in September, uh, September 7th, and, and many of you are here this morning, some are, are, are not, have been just generously giving to support City Lights, um, generously supporting to give City Lights. We're so encouraged by what you did at giving last year. We believe this is going to be a bigger year, but for those of you who would be interested in your um, 2014 giving statement, your contribution statement of record how much you gave for tax purposes or whatever. If you'll stop by that next steps table out there, there's a form. You just sign your name and we'll mail you a copy of your contribution statement if you'd like to have that for tax purposes and we keep track of that. So we just want you to know that we've got that on file if you need it for um, whatever purpose. Um, we've got that for you. So we've been uh, enough of the boring stuff to uh, the good stuff. We have been spending, uh, we are going to be spending this month, January, talking about, we're in this series called Get Back, Recovering Your Spiritual Momentum. And, and what the idea behind is this, is we've gone through the holidays, New Year's resolutions, or maybe 2014 didn't turn out like you wanted it to. Maybe there were some things that didn't go your way. Maybe you caught a bad break. Maybe you had some bad luck. Maybe you just made some bad decisions. We are just, as I was praying about, God, what, what does this look like for us in 2015 moving forward? I really felt like some of us need to get back what we lost. or so That desire that we once had and we saw fade away, we need to get it back and get some spiritual momentum going into the new year. I also believe this. There are some of you here this morning that you've never had spiritual momentum and that you're looking for it for the first time. You're like, hey, I don't want to get it back. I just want to get it, man. I just want to find it. And so this is for everybody in here. If you're a, um, the truth is this. If you're not even a Christ follower, you want 2015 to be a better year. But especially if you're in Christ, we want this to be your best spiritual year yet. And so that's what we're doing this month of January is talking about how do we get that momentum? What are some practical things we can do 
We started off last week uh, talking about Jesus said the most important thing you can do is to love God and love people. Isn't it insane how complicated Christians make God's commands? I mean, he just said to love people and love him. And then we get all jacked up about stuff that's really trivial at the end of the day. And um, I'm so excited about this morning um, to, to dive in. I really believe that it's going to be a game changer for some people. It was a game changer for me as I was just preparing and, and thinking about it. And as I was preparing for this message, I had this thought come to mind. Did anybody buy any gifts um, for Christmas that required some assemble, assimilation, maybe for, like for your kids or two, two of us, three of us? Okay. Well, here's the thing about that. I am a pretty patient guy, um, you know, with stuff like that. But my wife and I, we, um, Ariel's her name, we've got a little girl, she'll be three years old tomorrow. And uh, for Christmas, we bought her a huge 12 by 12 trampoline. I mean, like a big one, not like a little circle one. I'm talking like, oh God, this is going to take forever to put together kind of trampoline. You know what I mean? And of course, obviously... Um, it was going to take some time, so like I couldn't do it Christmas Day, so I started a couple days before. And this box, I just, you know, obviously, um, I'm not like the biggest guy in the world. And it wasn't like when I was five years old, I was like, God, when I grow up, I want to weigh 165 pounds and only be five foot eight inches tall. You know, people are like, you're so short. And I'm like, hey, God made me this way. It wasn't like I woke up and was like, hey, this is how big I want to be, God. Uh, but I believe God, you know, knows what he's doing. The word says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made um, in all my glorious shortness and all that but um so there's this huge box i'm telling you it weighs probably like 250 pounds it's a wonder i didn't go to the emergency room trying to get it out but anyway so i pull this box out it's you know it's huge it's massive it's daunting it's intimidating but it's for my little girl and i'm ready to tackle the job so i pull everything out and of course there's like you know about 713 pieces and 700 of those are the springs that you got to put together so i start putting the thing together and like i'm doing pretty good i've not even read the instructions and because I'm, I'm just I'm kind of visualizing, I'm looking, I say, okay, that, that makes sense. I start putting everything together. And then, like, there's these, they call it A pole and a B pole. And I don't know why, because they basically look the exact same to me. Um, and I couldn't figure out how, like, how they went together, how they were supposed to make this you. And so, um, like any wise man, I went to my wife and said, hey, I mean, do you, what's going on here? Do you see, like, how this works? And ladies... You know what I'm fixing to say. She asked me one question. Have you read the instructions? And of course, I said, real men don't read instructions, baby. But I had not read the instructions. And when I did, it made much more sense. However, even after reading the instructions, it's still kind of complicated, isn't it, sometimes? I mean, like, we've bought these little $5 gifts for our daughter, you know, something crazy from Big Lots or Walmart, just to, like, pacifiers. We're going down the aisle. And, like, you get this instruction manual, and you're like, good Lord. I mean, it don't take all that to put, you know, a watermelon together. I mean, it's just crazy how hard they make it. But nonetheless, after I read these instructions, I was able to get the trampoline together. It took a little bit of time, but I was able to get it together. And I, I share that story to share this, because there's something that we go through in this Christian life. There's so many things that we wonder about. How do we do this? How do we do that? We've got an instruction manual. It's called the Bible. And we look at it at face value, and it means one thing. But if we go deeper, we look at it a little bit closer, it really gives us some answers to questions that we want to know. And so this morning, we are um, 
talking about, uh, basically we're in part two of this Get Back series and, and calling it the model prayer. On the back of your handout, you've got a place to take notes. And I just want to encourage you to do that. And this is why. Um, not because I'm going to say anything that's just marvelous, but like I take my own notes. I've got six pages here and some of you guys are wondering like, good Lord, he's going to be preaching all day. That's not true. I can get us out of here on time, I think. Uh, hang with me though. But just want to encourage you to take notes because you may hear something today. And I always say this, it happens to me. I hear a song on the radio or somebody says something later on in the week and it just makes sense to me. And so um, I don't know why, people, why you wouldn't want to come and just grasp what you can. But we're talking about the model prayer this morning. And for me... I've had these incredible events happen through prayer for me. I want to share two of them with you through prayer. The first one was on January 21st, 2009, around midnight in my driveway. That's how positive and sure I am at the moment. I just really cried out to God um, and said, God, I need you. I'm on this terrible path of destruction. I basically was a hellion out just raising Cain, being wild, you know, causing division in my family, just making all these bad decisions. And for the first time in my life, I felt like it was then that I completely surrendered my will and everything to Christ. Now, when I was 13 years old, I prayed a prayer that we would call in the church to receive Christ, uh, that prayer of salvation. But I truly did not give my life to him until then. Does that make sense? That's got to resonate with somebody. Like, you pray this prayer, but you know you really, you've not given it all to him. Through that prayer, I reached out to Christ, and I, I want you to know that I just was like, God, I need you. Like, there's nothing super spiritual, nothing fancy about it, just a desperate sinner in need of a Savior. And it was then that I surrendered my life. What I realized now was to his call on my life and ministry. Another incredible thing that happened was August 29th, 2012, about 7.15 p.m. is how sure I am of this one. It was very... Far from God, a Christ follower. What I mean is I was a senior staff member at a church, supposed to be leading 30 or, you know, 20-something um, adult small groups, had this huge responsibility. And, like, I don't even, I've not even heard from God in months. And people are seeing me come in every morning and they're, you know, or Sunday mornings, and it looks like I've got it together, but they don't know, like, my heart is broken because I haven't heard from God because I've so, been so busy doing His work. Now, I don't say that to, like, put me up on a pedestal. I just want you to know, as a pastor of this church, I'm real like you. I'm real like you. I'm just a man with a call. And so that night, it was a Wednesday night, I just prayed, God, let me hear you speak to me, show me something. I mean, make the earth shake, do something. You know, let me know you're there. And he did. He spoke to me. He put what I call a desire in my heart to be a, a church planter. Church planter is when people go and they sprout seeds of the gospel and a church plants. It grows. That's what this is right here. In case you're wondering what that terminology means, you're sitting in a church plant. We are a church, but it's a, the biblical is like it's a church plant. And so two of the greatest things that have happened to me, January 21st, 2009, August 29th, 2012, came through prayer. I feel like prayer is one of the most incredible tools, resources Christians have, but we like, we're so confused by it. We don't understand the meaning of it, what's the purpose, what's the point? And I'm telling you, listen to me. If you want 2015 to be a good year for you, you're going to have to tap into that. You're going to have to understand how to pray, why to pray. There was a theologian named Martin Luther, and listen to what he said. He said, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. But that's the exact opposite of our culture, right? I'm too busy to pray. And then you wonder why your life is like crazy and hectic. 
I mean, Martin Luther says something profound here. I've got so much. You think of your schedule this week. What have you got to do tomorrow? What have you got to do this week? I've got several meetings this, this week. I've got lunch appointments. Uh, I coach a basketball team. Uh, I start school full-time tomorrow. I, my wife's due in like three weeks with our second child. I get being busy. And it seems like the last thing that we want to do is take three hours out of our day to pray. But Martin Luther knew this, that if I don't do that, the heck with everything else. It's incredible that he, would, that he would say this, that he would say, hey, I'm so busy, I better pray about what I'm fixing to get into. And we're the exact opposite. Hey, I'm way too busy to get into that prayer thing. I don't mean to be sarcastic with this, but maybe some of you, all praying is, is like a 30-second, like a little snippet of an interaction with God before you pray or before you eat. And I say this, and I do kind of mean to be sarcastic, but like I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but it's so crazy. Like, you know, we just say these crazy prayers like before we eat, you know, we are eating like this nasty bowl of rice and beans from the Mexican restaurant that tastes wonderful, but then we're like, God, please bless this food to nourishment of my body. And I'm just thinking, hey, you better ask God to make sure you're near a restroom in about an hour instead of asking him to bless it. Let's just get practical, okay? Let's just be honest about these things here. It's not just something, it's not a 30-second God bless this food to nourishment of my body before you eat. It's like a way of life, prayer is. It's more than just something you say before a meal. It's more than something you just do on Sunday morning. For some of you, you may know people, you think prayer is what the preacher does at the end of his message. I don't think we understand how great of a responsibility it is on us to step in to that vessel of communicating with God. I mean, we feel so lonely sometimes, we feel so inadequate, we feel like so distant from God, but the most logical question to ask is, when was the last time you talked to Him? When was the last time you talked to Him? When was the last time you let Him talk to you? When was the last time you let Him talk to you? And so I think there's this. Maybe you're here this morning. Let's just try to get all on the same page. Let me ask enough questions where we can all get on the same page. If you've ever thought, how do I pray? What should I say? Why do I pray? What's the purpose? Does God hear when I pray? Are there things I shouldn't pray for? What should I pray for? Would you raise your hand if you've ever thought any of those questions? Good. This message is for everybody in here this morning. It's for everybody in here. And what I want to do is we're talking about the model prayer. Uh, You may have also heard it called the Lord's Prayer. It's some of the first scripture that I memorized as a Christian. Um, and I, remember, I memorized it the old King James Version. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, so forth and so on. I want us to look at that this morning. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I mentioned this last week. We're really like in a teaching series right now. And so if you're not interested in really making this a good year, if you're not really interested in going too deep into scripture, this is, might not be like you know, your favorite message ever. Okay, so what I need you to do is I need you to hang with me because what we're going to do is we're going to go really deep. We're going to look at this prayer. We're going to unpack it like verse by verse. What is Jesus saying here? And there's a couple things we're going to look at. We're going to look at the prayer itself. We're going to unpack like, what Jesus is saying here. But we're also simultaneously going to look at the structure of the prayer. And what I mean is the order that Jesus says these things. I want to help you get a greater understanding of what really is going on when Jesus says, Our Father in heaven. 
But before we dive into that, I want to read a couple of scriptures before then to let you understand and, and to help you understand the, the context of how Jesus sets this prayer up. And, and listen, how would you all feel? This is so funny. I can't believe I'm going to say this. But how would you all feel if you came to church and like right here in just a minute, I just pulled a chair out and took a nap and started sleeping? That'd be pretty crappy, wouldn't it? Some of y'all do that to me on Sunday. So don't listen. You don't want me sleeping. So don't y'all fall asleep, okay? Imagine how that feels. So I want to set this up, reading a couple of scriptures before then. I think this is going to be a game changer for somebody today. You're going to tap into something that's going to change your life forever today if you want it to. If you want it to, it can. If you want to learn something, more, if you want to understand God's word a little bit deeper, then hang with me just for the next little bit. Be open to God speaking. Be open to what he's teaching. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, I'd like for you to open it there. If you have a phone, your Bible on your phone, you can turn it on. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to have it up on the screen, so don't you worry about it. Also, if you don't have a Bible, we've got free Bibles out at our next steps table. If you walk out of here and the table's on the left, and we want you to have it, really. Please take one. There, there's several of them out there, and it's not awkward. We, we have them for people that don't have them. Uh, there was one time in my life I didn't have a Bible. You've got to get it from somewhere, so please take one. So we're in Matthew chapter 6. We're talking today about the model prayer, and before we get to it, Jesus says these remarkable statements about praying. I think this is going to be a game changer for some of you. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says, look, when you pray, when you pray, listen, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. He says, I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get. And it's something like this. Have you ever been in those circles where people are praying or you're you know, at some like family dinner or some business, whatever, and they allow praying? And these people just all of a sudden, we say like, while everybody's got their eyes closed, they kind of pull out their phone and they're looking at dictionary.com and they're saying these words that you can't even pronounce. And you're like, dude... You don't ever talk like that, so why are you praying like that right now? I mean, you don't even know what that word just means. You had to, like, pronounce every single syllable just to be able to get the word out. And Jesus says, look, when you pray, he says, don't be like the hypocrites who just say, who just stand out on the street corners or want to pray publicly and gain all this attention because of their big terminology or their vernacular they use. He says, don't be like that. Isn't it interesting? Like, you want to know what it's like? Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Who stand, on the, who stand on the street corners and they pray publicly. They try to get all this attention. And, you know, you're like, man, I mean, dude, you're nothing like that. So why are you acting like that right now? Look what he says. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward they will ever get is the attention they get in that moment. So Jesus says, when you pray, interesting, don't be like the hypocrites. Verse 6, look what he says. But when you pray, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, there's, I want to make sure that there's not this conflicting understanding of Jesus is not saying don't pray publicly. What he's saying is your private prayer, rather your public prayer should be a result of your private prayer life. Some translations say go pray in secret to the father who sees in secret. The NLT says it like who sees everything. And the idea, the idea there is it's really just about you and God, your prayer life. I mean, there's a time to pray publicly. There's a time to intercede and pray for other people. But it's just really about you coming before God. It's really about you in that moment with Him. Have you ever heard someone say, or maybe you've said it, like you, you ask somebody to pray, you've been in a circle, and they say stuff like, 
I'm not really good at praying. Or, you know, I, I'm not used to praying out loud. What I really wonder is if they're saying something like, I don't really know how to talk to God. Because I'm not used to it. Jesus says, just pray in private. Now, when he says shut the door, he doesn't like literally mean, you know, when you get home, cut your family off and go in the laundry room. But maybe he does. Maybe he means, hey, I'm going to take some quiet time and I'm going to just kind of, you know, honey or friend, give me 30 minutes. I'm just going to go pray. Or it's, it's going down the road. It's turning the radio off for a minute. It's not checking Facebook while you're driving. And you're just praying to the Father. Just you communicating. He says, when you pray, pray to me. Don't worry about everybody else. Look what he says in verse 7. When you pray, this is going to step on somebody's toes, don't babble on and on, as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Now listen, I, I, I'm not, listen I don't want to be mean, but it's just saying, he's saying, be mindful of when you come before his Father, what you're saying. Have you ever heard people, they say stuff like, you know, dear Lord Jesus, please lead God in, direct me. Well, that's the same thing, isn't it? It's one and the same thing. Now, Jesus is not condemning what we say, but he's just saying, be, don't babble. I mean, you're coming before the Father in heaven. Be mindful of what you're saying to him. It's not that you have to say the right words. It's just that your heart has the right motive as you come before him. Are you with me? I, I, don't want, I want to make sure that I'm not saying that you leave here and you feel like, good Lord, now I definitely don't want to pray to him because I don't know what to say. He's just saying, be mindful when you come before him. Don't babble on and you hear people. And I think what he's talking about is Baptist preachers right here. He says they just go on and on and on and on and on. I mean, I don't know why Jesus would say that. But don't babble on and on, he says. When you pray, don't but just like, get to the point. What is it? You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, there's times and, you know, children do this or loved ones, you know, when they're hanging around about something they want. And you're like, just, just say it. What, do you, what is it? God's like, just tell me. I'm your, I'm your father. Just, just tell me. You can talk to me. Don't babble on and on like other people do. Look what he says, verse 8. Very strong. Look, don't be like them. Look, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Now, a question that is often brought up, I think, in Christian circles is this. You may have thought it, or now that I'm fixing to say it, you may wonder it. If God knows everything, then why should I even pray? If God knows every single thing that's going to happen before it happens, why would I even want to pray, Justin? Why, does it, why should I even pray if God knows everything? And I want you to kind of help me out on this. He says, don't be like them, the people that babble. He says, say this way. He says, who knows for your... We're recording that. So those who will be listening to this podcast next week, that was about two and a half people that answered with me. <laughs> Listen, we're live, folks. You're, this is your opportunity to shine, okay? <laughs> Don't be like them for your father. Your father knows. So why should you pray? Because you don't know. It's about him. Your father knows, not you. Yeah, he knows everything, but if you want to understand what he knows, Glenda, what his will is, what he wants for you, should you take that job? Should you go back to school? You've got to pray because the Father knows, not you. And what happens is when you bring this petition or request before God, you know that he already knows, but you don't. When he reveals it to you, is why you pray, so you can understand who he is. 
We pray because God knows, not us. We pray because God knows, not us. He knows everything. Basically, we know nothing. But he will tell us everything if we will come to him with something. So we pray because God knows we don't. When we pray with God, that is praying is speaking to him. It is communicating, talking with him. Then as we understand what his will is, we understand who his person is, his character, his, his nature, what he wants for us, what he doesn't want for us. Jesus takes this very strong stance on, hey, when you pray, don't do this. But when you pray, do this. It's so interesting that in Jesus' life, he would take time out of his ministry of raising dead people, healing blind people, to teach people how to pray. So Jesus thought, he thought it important enough to let some dead people wait in their grave, some blind people to go on a little bit more, some lame people not being able to walk so he could teach believers how to pray. You know that Jesus prayed. One of the greatest prayers is John chapter 17. Jesus prays for the world. He prays for believers. Another very significant prayer that you may be more familiar with is the prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus goes to the cross. That's where he says, God, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. So if the Son of God thought it necessary to pray, then should we not also? That's how we know the Father. That's how we know the Father. Let me ask you something. You think of your loved one, a mom, a dad, a spouse, any kind of relationship. You don't have a great relationship with anybody unless you communicate with them. So what makes you think your relationship with God is going to get any better if you don't ever communicate with him? Jesus takes this strong stance. He answers these questions for the disciples. He says, pray like this, don't pray like this. And then he goes on to tell us something that we want to answer today. How do we pray? What is prayer? What's the purpose of it? And I'm telling you, we're fixing to take off really quick right here. So I need you to hang with me and let God speak to you through his scripture. Jesus just gives these, these contrasts. You do this, you don't do that. And then he says something remarkable. And this is going to be a game changer for us. I want you to hang with me because we're going to go fast. In verse 9a, which is the first part, he says this. This then, after telling them don't do all this, this is how you should pray. Other translations say, he said, this. Pray like this. It's like you want to know, how do you pray? What's the purpose? What's the point of it? What do I say? What can I say? What should I not say? What does it accomplish? Jesus is fixing to give us the answers. This is our trampoline instruction manual right here. This, then, is how you should pray. Now, what I want to do is I want to break this up into two sections, okay? This is kind of a teaching series, so it's kind of a studious message. You're going to have to hang with me. The first section I want to call global adoration, if you're taking notes. Global adoration. Global adoration. So, verse 9 continued. We're going to look in two sections. First part is global adoration. He says this. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, listen, we're going to just get very meticulous and kind of just break some stuff down. So it's like either going to go over your head or into your heart or under your feet while you take a nap. So please let this go into your heart 
And if you're tired, just do like they used to make you do in elementary school. Go to the back of the wall and please stand up. Okay. So Jesus says, our Father, remember Jesus is talking to, listen, if you've heard me say this once, you've heard it a thousand times. Context is so important when you read Scripture. What's going on before, what's going on after, what's the setting, what's the culture like. Jesus is talking to believers. He says, our Father. It's also so interesting. Listen, I'm gonna, there's a good chance I'm going to be like a rabbit, just kind of going everywhere. So please either hang with me or don't make fun of me publicly, okay? He says, this is how you should pray, our Father. So Jesus is talking to individuals, and he starts off, he uses this plural pronoun, our Father. Jesus is letting it know right away that it really is about you and communicating with God, but you also ought to have a, have a heart for everybody else when you pray. There's nothing wrong with coming to God and saying, God, I want, I need, please help me, forgive me. But he's saying that we should care for all of humanity. So the context is Jesus is talking to believers here. So it's important that we understand that our Father is something that only children can call Him. Only children of God can call Him Father. So then I think a logical question, a good diagnostic question is, who is a child of God? More so, who then can pray our Father? Hang with me. This is John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but all who believed and accepted him. Listen, it's two parts. You've got to believe, Dustin, and you have to accept because even the devil believes in Jesus. Right? So that's not enough for you just to believe. Yeah, I believe in God. Well, good. So do the demons. Matter of fact, in Mark, they called him the Holy One. So it's not enough to believe. You must believe him and accept him. And look, those who do, God give, God gives. He gave the right to become a child of God. A generic argument, I do mean generic, brought up is that if God is the creator of all humanity, is he not the father of all? Well, no. And let me explain. Yes, God is the creator of the world, but he's not the father of all. The scriptures just say you must believe and accept him. Let me give you, let me break it down just elementary. I have a biological father. Well, he's deceased now. His name was Steve Wills. Literally, he helped create me, but he was absent my whole life. So, yeah, he created me, but Jeff, he wasn't my father. Does that make sense? Okay, some of you got it. Okay. He helped create me, but he wasn't my father. I mean, listen, we're going to break down what that word father means, and that's going to show you even a little bit more. But just because God created the world does not mean that he is the father of every single person. Because the scriptures say you must accept and believe him to be a child of God. You want a little bit further proof? This is going to kind of hurt somebody. John 9, 31 says this, that we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. But he is ready, however, to hear those who worship him and do his will. Now, let me just make sure you understand this here. When it says sinners there, it doesn't mean, like, you and I are sinners. I mean, I I hate to be the bearer of bad news if you walked in here and thought everything was good, but newsflash. Uh, We're all sinners. So he's not literally saying those who sin. What he's talking about is those who remain in sin who are far from God. So it could be said like this. We know that God doesn't listen to those who don't believe and accept him. However, Christian, he is ready to hear those. Aren't you like that word ready? I'm getting fired up, man. If I had some wings, I'd take off like Red Bull right now. He is ready. That is with anticipating. God loves you. He desires you. He's ready. 
He is ready. He's willing. He's waiting. So then, take us back to verse 9. Our Father, God is only active in the prayers of His children. Some of you could be wondering this, so I'll go ahead and address it. For further reference, you can write down Isaiah 59 too. God does not address the prayers of those who do not believe and accept Him. I know that's strong truth. So then I think the next question is this. Well, if God doesn't hear the prayers of those who don't know Him, how do they become saved? Well, He's waiting for you to pray that prayer of God, I believe and accept you. So our Father... You can only, we're, I'm telling you, we're going deep. Listen, we're in the first two words. We've got a minute to go, but I'm going to take us fast, okay? Our Father, can, you can only call on Him if you are a, a child of God. Now, this word Father in the Greek translates to a word called Abba in the Aramaic. New Testament is written in Greek. I know everybody's like, whoa, what? The New Testament's written in Greek. The word Father translates in Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke, to a word called Abba. If you recall on the cross, Jesus cried out, Abba, why have you forsaken me? And this word, I don't know if, if I can even articulate, it's like the most intimate word for father. Listen, in the English, it translates to the word daddy. There's a, a pastor in Knoxville, and um, our church here is part of a network called the Ignite Network. And it's a bunch of church plants around Knoxville and Powell and different locations. And we're a part of that network. And I'll never forget the first time this guy prayed. He started off his prayer like this. He was like, Daddy, we love you. And I opened my eyes up. And I looked around. And I'm going to be honest with you. It creeped this guy out. And so I just kind of like back up out of the prayer circle. Said, y'all have a good one? <laughs> a bunch of weirdos. But it's so important that you understand that really, God is like our daddy. I'm, listen, I know this is weird for you guys. I'm like, I'm ahead of you on it so I can say it and not feel awkward. But he is our, he's our daddy. He, how many of you have a good dad in here? You love him, right? It's your daddy. My little girl, she's three-year-old, and she, you know, sometimes it's dad, dad, but daddy. And that's what God is for us. He's our, I know it's so weird, but he's our daddy. He loves us. Like, so Jesus says we can call him father because he's someone we can know, David. He's someone we can know. He is not so far up that we can't know him. He is our daddy. He is our father. Now, here's what's beautiful about this. He says, our father in heaven. So there's like this contrast of our daddy, someone who loves us, who we can know, who is, who is loving and, and gracious and kind and merciful. Yet on the same token, he's in heaven. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's clothed in righteousness. He's majestic. He's holy. Ooh, I'm getting cold chills from my own preaching. <laughs> so it's like this. We have this Father who we can love, but yet we must have respect for the King of Kings. Are you with me? We, listen, Cindy, we're like in the first four words, so you're going to have to help me get through these slides, okay? I know we're going long, but you need to understand this. So it's our Daddy, our, our Father, this God who knows us, yet He is majestic. He is the King in heaven. Then, this is an old English word. Hallowed be your name. Now, it's kind of close to Halloween, but it doesn't mean Halloween. Nobody really uses this anymore. Um, basically, what it could be translated to is like honored or holy. And so what Jesus is saying here is this. 
Daddy. You are the King. And may your name be kept honored and holy. He's not asking God to keep his name. He's saying it's a request. You know, God, Father, King, may your name be honored and kept holy. So then how is it done so? Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this expresses here the desire to see God's reign take place in this world as it currently is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Well, what does this mean? I, I mean, hasn't God's kingdom already been established, really? I mean, isn't heaven already there? Isn't his kingdom already established? Well, yes and no. Let me explain a little bit further. God has a sovereign will and then what we call a permissive will. And a permissive will means things that God permits. This is a loose illustration, but to help you understand now in this context. For example, God permitted 9-11 to happen. God permits people to not choose him. That is his permissive will. You must understand this. I know we're going a little deep this morning. His permissive will is not causative. What I mean is things he permits, he does not cause. Right? I mean, God did not cause the terrorists to fly into 9-11. However, because he is a God of free will, he permits certain things to happen. Now, in his sovereignty... Sovereignty is kind of one of those words you're like, what the crap does that mean? Sovereign just means power, control, uh, honor, just authority. So in God's sovereign will, what he permits, we know that in his sovereignty, one day for those who reject him, you will have to stand before him and answer for that. So he has a permissive will and a sovereign will. And so what Jesus is saying is this. Your kingdom, what he's saying is this. God, let your sovereignty... The way it is in heaven, let your sovereign will be done on, in this world as it is in that world. Now, we, we started this first section. We called it global adoration. It's so interesting that Jesus says, pray like this. This is how you should pray. And he starts off with this plural pronoun suggesting that we should care for everybody, not just ourselves. And then he goes into what God's agenda is. Keep your name holy. May it be honored. God, may your sovereign will be done on this earth. And so the that's the word for word. The structure of the prayer is this. When you come before God, it's really about adoring him, loving him, asking God to bless the whole globe, not just locally, but God, we want your name to be known across all of humanity. Like we pray this morning, God, you are holy. Lord, you are my father. You are my dad. And I want people to know you and your sovereignty and your goodness and your gracious and your majestic majestic and your majesty. And so the structure is we come before God and we first we show our adoration to him. It's not you just, I mean, you can, but like Jesus is saying, hey, don't just come before him and be like, God, okay, you know, I'm short on the light bill this month. Uh, uh, there's some crazy ticking noise in my car. If you can make that go away, I really appreciate that. Just adore him. Adore him. Love him. It's about God's agenda. It's about global adoration. It is about you, Brandon, but it's about all of humanity. Right? God, we want you. I know you, God, and I want to know you. But I want the world to experience you. He says, when you pray, this is how. You show your love for him. 
your respect. And you pray that he would make himself known, that we would make him known. So the second part of this prayer then is what I'm calling personal consideration. Personal consideration. So Jesus has just started this prayer off. He tells us, hey, this is how you do it. You talk to your dad. You love him. You let him know you love him. You pray for his fame to be known all over the world. And then this is so crazy. So like we go from this extraordinary prayer to something so ordinary. Look what Jesus says in verse 10. Excuse me, verse 11. Give us today our daily bread, peanut butter, and jelly. It's like so wild that Jesus, you know, he's so deep in this father, this daddy, this heaven. You know, God, make your sovereign will known across the earth. And then he's like, hey, if you don't mind, uh, we need some wheat bread over here and no crust. And so it's just what we see here is that God is high and mighty and we are lowly and meek. See, it's our father. We love him, but he is in heaven. And we are here, and so what Jesus is saying is this, is literally, God, just give me what I need to get through in life. And this is why I think Jesus says to pray this, because you know when you have too much, it can ensnare you in sin. Like you wonder why you don't have a bunch of money, because you know you'd be in financial ruin if you did. Now, let me back up and say this. There's absolutely nothing wrong with working hard getting a good education, getting a good paying job, having things you want. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? Don't let people fool you. You just ought to understand that what comes from that, Deuteronomy talks about, for those of you who have a good job and make a little bit more money than other people, Deuteronomy talks about you better thank God for giving you the ability to have the health, to make the wealth. But Jesus says at the the basic form, God, you just give me what I need. It's also suggestive of God, really, all I need is you. So God, just give me what I need to get through this. Give me my daily bread. God, give me today what will keep me alive. It's as if Jesus is saying this, there's no long-term guarantees in life. However, let God sustain you for this day because tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Amen. Then what he says is this. Look, verse 12. Forgive us our debts, this is an interesting word, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as. And so what Jesus is saying here is this. There's this correlation between the way God forgives us and how we're to forgive other people. I hear people say this all the time. I can't forgive them because, man, I'd be a fool to let that go. It'd be so, I just, I mean, it just shows that they're stepping all over me if I let that go. But then what you do in ignorance, what I do in ignorance, is we take that mentality before our daddy in heaven and ask him to be foolish and ignorant and forgive something that he shouldn't. But aren't you glad God's not like that? See, there's this correlation that we forgive the way God forgives us. So in the structure of this prayer, We see we globally address him for all of humanity. We adore him. Then we ask for provision, which is just the minimum. And then we have confession. right? God, I'm just a sinner. I'm so sorry that I've turned my back on you. I'm so sorry that my faith has grown less when you've been faithful. I'm so sorry that I haven't been giving. You've blessed me with a good job. I'm stingy. I'm so sorry that I haven't been sharing my testimony with people. I'm just a sinner, God. I'm just a sinner. And by the way, 
God, I don't want to hold a grudge against them anymore. Will you give me peace to forgive them the same way that you're forgiving me right now? Like, I don't want to hold a grudge against them, my ex anymore, or whoever. God, because you've been so faithful to me. I just want to let that go. You see the structure there? Forgive us, God, because we, in turn, want to share that love with those who don't know you. It's beautiful. So we see the structure here. We come and we just, we, it's, some call it, this is kind of old school. I wasn't going to say this, but it may help you. It's called Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. We love him. We give him thanks for what he's done in our life. We confess our sins and our shortcomings and where we've made mistakes. And we, you know, God, give me his provisions. Help us. Give me our daily bread. It's so important that we understand this correlation because listen to what Psalm 66, 18 says. It said, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And so the idea is this, is like you want to hold all these grudges and bitterness against these people that do something to you. And then you take that before God and like you're not even clear enough to hear what he's saying because the rage and resentment is built up. The psalmist said this, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. What happens is we build our sin nature up, this wall up. And then... It's hard for God to hear us because we don't even get to him because the sin's so built up. It's incredible. Then, this right here is amazing. Verse 13 says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, as I was studying this, it got thinking, I mean, does God lead us into temptation? And the answer is no. Right? He does not. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. And what that means is this. You're not facing anything that nobody else has ever went through. Right? You ever feel like, God, why are you doing this? Well, other people have been through it too. It says, but with temptation, God is also faithful and just to provide a way out. Right? So God didn't lead you there, but he can sure make a way out. So then what does this mean if it says don't lead us into temptation, if God doesn't tempt us? Let's look at it like this. There are two types of experiences in life. You can change the words, but basically there's a pleasant experience and then there's painful experiences, right? Things I enjoy and things that stink. And so every experience is a test from God. But every experience is a temptation from Satan. Example. You have a pleasant experience of... You just took this new job. You stepped out in faith. Now you have benefits, making decent money. You've got a great schedule. The test is this. Do you acknowledge and thank God for giving you that? Or the temptation is, I didn't need God. I got this my own self. This pleasant experience is a test. Are you going to thank God and acknowledge, hey, you gave me the health to work today? Or the Satan tries to tempt us and say, dude, you didn't need him. You did this yourself. Flip side, a painful experience. You lose a loved one, a child, a relationship breaks. The test from God is, do you trust me to make this right? Do you trust that I can fix this? The temptation from Jesus is, you blame God. Or excuse me, the temptation from Satan is that you blame God. You curse him. 
I can see, like, most of you get this, and this should be liberating for you. I can tell by, you do know that, like, preaching is two ways. Like, I can tell when you're drifting, thinking about Waffle House, and I can tell when you're with me. And most of you are with me right now. We're fixing to land this. So then it's this. When he says, and lead us not into temptation. What Jesus is really saying, it could be said something like this right here. In every test of life, deliver me from the evil one. Don't let me become ensnared by his deception. God, in the test of life, deliver me from the enemy's temptations. I want to give you glory. In the good times and the bad, don't let me become ensnared by his deception. So it's so amazing that Jesus takes the time out of his life, out of his ministry of raising dead people to teach us how to pray. He says, this then is how you pray. Global adoration. Daddy, you're holy. You're God. You're my father. And God, I just want your will to be done here right now like it is in heaven. I want my family to know you. God, I want to know you, but I want this community to know you, God. I want my coworkers to know you. I want my children to know you. And God, I want it to be done in heaven the same way here on earth. And by the way, God, I don't really need much. But if you could just keep me healthy to to make it through work. God, you know I've got a family and I'm okay that I'm not rich, but give me the health to work a little overtime, God. Just just provide for me. And God, also, I just want you to know that I'm so sorry for where I've fall short of your standard for me. I've turned my back on you. I've given up on believing that you can change things. And by the way, God, I want to I forgive them for what they did to me because your grace is enough. So I'm not going to hold that grudge anymore. And I want to just extend that forgiveness to them the same way you have me. And then, and then one last thing, God. I've got a lot going on right now. But um, would you just protect me from the enemy? Would you just keep my family safe and protect me and protect them? And That's really all I need, God. And I just want to know you. Jesus says, Daddy, you're Lord. This morning, maybe you've never even cried out to him. Maybe you can't get something back because you're still looking for it for the first time and you know it. And like maybe you're sitting here and you would say, Hey, I really, I mean, I thought I made this commitment years ago, but man, now that I see that it's so much more than just reciting something, I want to know Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, this is the missing piece in my relationship. Like, I mean, I attend church. I'm faithful. I study my Bible every now and then. And I even tell people I'm a Christian, but God, I'm sorry I've not been talking to you like this. I'm sorry. 
pray with me? So our Father, our loving, kind, and gracious Daddy, we acknowledge that you and you alone are Lord. You are holy and you are righteous and you are just. You are merciful, you are patient, you are long-suffering, and you are our Father. And God, not only do we admit our need for you, but God, we acknowledge the world's desperation without you. Moreover, those of us who sit in this room, God, teach us to pray. Show us. Give us confidence that we can just come before you, God, and that we're just to be mindful that we don't have to say the the right words, God, that we just come with you with the right motives. We see this, that we just adore you, God, and that we're not so concerned just for ourselves, but our brothers and sisters in Christ and those that don't know you. And then, God, what we need now, the provision we need is for your, your spirit to just come down and speak to us. Let us feel your presence. God, we also just want to take a moment to just say how sorry we are and we confess our sins to you. Maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you would confess your sins to him and acknowledge your need for him. And God, we want you to know that we need your forgiveness. And in the same token, God, help us to show that love to those who we have a burden against, who we're holding grudges against. And Father, this morning... Let this test of hearing your word proclaimed bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray.